Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Scenario. A vendor called in because their payment was not received. You research it or send it over to whomever does that on your team and found out that the payment failed because the bank account was wrong. Your vendor then says that they changed it on the invoice and now both your vendor and your internal team member wonder why you didn't notice the change and request it to be updated. Was it really your fault? Keep listening. Welcome to episode 126, Should You Change Your Vendor's Banking Based on an Invoice? So I get this question quite often, and when I do get it, it is typically from someone in the accounts payable team that really processes invoices, and they, uh, you, you know how it is when you process invoices, especially if you're doing them manually. You got a quota you got to keep up with, um, so you just put your headphones on, and you look at your two screens, and you process your invoices and keep going. And it can still happen, though, even even if you know you have a uh, invoicing system and now you've got to handle approvals and or exceptions and so you do handle those invoices and so that can be a question of well why did you not notice the change on the vendor's invoice? Keeping in mind, especially if you do not send a vendor, uh, when you set vendors up, if your vendor team does not send welcome letters that tells them how to do business with accounts payable, meaning how they should submit uh, any changes. So if that wasn't sent or if it was sent and they didn't read it, which we know that happens too, you can get vendors that think that because they send uh, their uh, banking information on the invoice that a change should be identified. And I do understand that not all vendors have their banking information on their invoice. I know it's more commonplace for international, but I do know there are some U.S. vendors that will have banking on their invoicing, and those are typically those deposit-only accounts, so they don't have to worry about money being taken out, so they include it on the invoice. But you know, even if we are just talking from an international focus, uh, the international uh, unsuccessful payments can be more expensive uh, to process the returns and also as far as fees go as well. So it's still a valid question. And again, I am talking from the vantage point of those folks that ask me who are, you know, busy, overworked folks that are frustrated with that expectation to catch a vendor's uh, banking change. 
All right, so my response is always, you know, adding vendor banking to the vendor master file for accounts payable or AP payments from an invoice, it's really not a compliance issue at all because I do get asked that. I don't think that there is because there is no regulatory fines or assessments associated with the activity. However, there are at least three issues that I see, and it can be more than three, but there are at least three issues that I see um, with that scenario. And the first one is to the ability to identify a change in banking. So unless you have an AP automation platform that detects bank changes as invoices are submitted, and some platforms do have that feature, um, then relying on the invoicing tool or the user when receiving an invoice manually to detect a change in banking just may result in that mischanged and not being updated prior to the next payment. And this can be more than, yes, the vendor is not getting paid. Yes, the vendor is gonna um, have some activity because they're going to be contacting the AP help desk to figure out what the issue is. But also um, what will most likely happen, depending on how often it has happened or how long it's been, is the uh, vendor's bank will make the change if the vendor has the same bank they may make the change and then send that uh, notice of change so you'll get that notice of change from your bank and if your team members don't process that notice of change in a timely fashion let's say if more payments go out then you can be liable for NACHA violations so it's Yes, the vendor not getting paid is big, um, but also uh, you can get some NACHA violations from not making those changes in a timely fashion. So you wanna be able to have a process to identify that change in banking that is better than uh, relying on um, uh, an e-invoicing tool or a, a user manually processing them. Now, the second um, issue I see is fraudulent invoices, especially if invoices are received by mail, they can be intercepted by cyber criminals to change the banking information. Now, this method ensures that there are no changes to the invoice format or numbering scheme, making the banking information appear legitimate. and just by the nature of the question that I'm asking, the banking information will change. So the banking information changes, but is that a fraudulent invoice? Um, uh, has that invoice been intercepted? So that's the second one. And then the last one, the third one is authentication and confirmation. Uh, the vendor will still need to be contacted anyway to either or both, um, one, confirm the change, or two, provide authentication to ensure it is the vendor requesting the change. And you'll see that, uh, and, and if you've listened to any of my podcasts, attended any of my webinars, I am always on the authentication of uh, the data and authentication of the requester. And we'll talk about um, authenticating the data uh, in, in the next section as part of the best practice. And so 
the best practices I have uh, for um, is to have an existing vendor change process to update vendor banking separate from the invoice submission and collection process. Um, so the first best practice is to require a company branded ACH form. I talk about this all the time um, and what I uh, don't have here is the expected first step, which is to authenticate the requester. So you need to um, require that company branded ACH form and only send it to the vendors that you have authenticated is the actual vendor. So you would authenticate the requester, they authenticate themselves, and you would then send them that company branded ACH form. Now that company branded ACH form is authentication in itself because on the form you need to require authenticating data such as the tax ID, the remit address, and existing banking. And then on top of all of that, you know, only sending it to vendors that you have authenticated and requiring that authenticating data. Make sure you change it up every year so that if you receive a prior year form, um, it can be a red flag for fraud since you have not authenticated uh, that, uh, that person that is submitting the form else, they would have an updated form. So uh, first best practice is require a company branded ACH form. The second best practice is to validate the banking information. So you do want to validate bank branch information, including the routing number, the SWIFT code, BIT code, and IBAN to increase potential for successful payments, reduce the notice of changes, and uh, potential avoid potential uh, notch fines. But another thing you want to look for is you want to validate that too, because if you have a vendor whose bank is in a different country, than um, where the vendor's uh, is remit address or physical address is located, then that is can be a red flag for fraud. So you definitely want to verify the bank branch uh, information so you can, um, uh, one, get those successful payments, but then also to avoid uh, fraud by verifying the vendor country and the bank country. Uh, the next one uh, is vendor or validate uh, bank ownership, uh, bank account ownership by matching the vendor legal name and or tax ID, um, depending on the method and solution, the service that you're using, um, to the bank account holder name and or the tax ID to reduce the potential for making a fraudulent payment. Now, I won't go over them here, but I do have a blog and a podcast. It's episode 103 on free and paid resources to validate vendor banking details. So you can check out episode 103 or I'll leave a link um, to the blog that actually does have um, the individual links to the free and paid resources that I talk about. So it's probably best to, to grab the blog on that. But if, you, if you're out for a walk and you just want to listen to uh, episode 103, go ahead and take a listen to that and see if there's anything new that you didn't already know about. 
All right, so the next one, number three, best practice, of course, is that confirmation phone call or email. And if you have not authenticated the requester and have not authenticating the data, I do recommend you do a confirmation phone call or an email. And I know that is the best practice. Everyone says you should do that. Um, that's all the, the advice. I do know that the reality is in, uh, in, in when you're trying to do this within your team, it can be time consuming. Um, that process can be split across departments. I just did a podcast episode on that. It was the last one, I believe, uh, episode 125 on splitting those tasks and what you need to look for. And I do advocate, if possible, um, seeing if you can eliminate that confirmation um, phone call. Uh, if, uh, But in order to do that, you have to authenticate the requester and you have to authenticate the data. And I do have an on-demand webinar. It's called Best Practices for Collecting and Validating Vendor Banking Details You Receive Via Email. And so I'll put a link to that uh, in the blog post that I will link in the show notes. So you can take a look at that and see if it's something that uh, you can implement across your company, especially if you're having a hard time uh, contacting the vendors and it's just a lot of manual work to get those confirmations done. But in any event, um, that is a best practice confirmation phone call or email uh, and make sure you contact the vendor using existing contact information from the vendor record or from their website to confirm the change. Now, the fourth one is, of course, to notify the vendor. So I say this a lot too, just like your bank, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Hulu, anyone that you have a, a profile or an account with, and if you change any of that information on your account changes, they will send you a notification. You need to do the same thing with your vendor. So send the vendor an email or a letter. If there is no email on file, notifying them that their information uh, has changed. And make sure you include contact information for whomever they need to reach out to if they did not initiate the change. And if you send that out same day or within 24 hours, that can be a great way to identify fraud before before it's too late to recover uh, the funds. So make sure you do that notification to the vendor. And by the way, yes, I actually did say send the vendor an email or a letter. Um, and that letter is for those vendors that do not have an email address on file. And so there may be times when you may need to send those manual letters out. Now, yes, that's gonna take longer, but it's still a notification um, to the vendor. Again, just like Amazon, NetSuite, Hulu, um, maybe not them because they'll have your address on file, but there are other accounts that you know that you receive confirmation via mail um, where they're telling you that your account has been updated and some companies will do both they'll send it via email and via mail so it's not uncommon to send that confirmation via mail now to make sure that your vendor actually does receive that letter from you that the uh, address is valid here is a word from our sponsor of this podcast that can help you out and you can have some free lookups. So listen up. 
On this podcast, I talk a lot about avoiding bad vendor data, and that includes vendor addresses. A tool that I personally use to validate vendor addresses is Smarty Streets. Smarty Streets is an online tool that will let you not only standardize U.S. and non-U.S. addresses, but it also goes further to tell you if the address is vacant, inactive, or only a P.O. box. With individual and bulk lookups, make sure you use Smarty Streets to validate your vendor addresses. Check out smartystreet.com AP to get 250 free U.S. address checks today. All right, so if you haven't checked them out, go ahead and check them out. You can get 250 free uh, address lookups for the U.S. And I think you can get that every month. So go ahead and check that out if you have not already. All right, so thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 125th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.